Hello and welcome back to Redirected. My name is Andrew East and this is a show that's all about change. We hear stories from people who have experienced massive change in their career or their relationships or maybe their health. And today we have a real treat with us. We sit down and talk with Max Lugavir, who is a New York Times bestselling author of the book Genius Foods. And he really got interested in the health and wellness space about 10 years ago when his mom was diagnosed with dementia. And this kind of really sparked in him an interest to learn more about what he's eating and share that knowledge that he's learned and accumulated with other people. And so he's one of the most intelligent people that I've ever talked to. And we also had a blast conversing about some of his other projects that he used to be involved in like music and uh, TV show hosting. And so he tells us about that transition and I found it very, very interesting. And I think you will too. If you want to find out more about Max, you can find his information in the show notes down below. And if you haven't, please give this show a rating and subscribe to it on whatever platform you're listening to. But let's go ahead and jump into this one with Max Lugavere. Max, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm super excited for this conversation. Dude, Andrew, it's so great to be here. And Andrew's my brother's name too, so I, I already feel like a connection. Oh man, I'm honored. I think, uh, I think we have uh, other connections, including Dr. Josh Axe, who I think you just talked to the other week. I did, yeah. Josh Axe, nice. he's the man. He's, um, I didn't even know that the conversation was going to go in the direction that it ended up going into, but he's so smart when it comes to like ancient herbs and medicinal mushrooms and things like that. And that's a topic that I've just been, you know, I've become increasingly fascinated by. So it was good to chat with him. Yeah, he knows a lot. We're actually next door neighbors. And so we've only known each no other way. for a year, but uh, we've spent a lot of time together. So we, we have fun. But um, all right. So I would, I would love to hear, I would love to hear about a little bit about your upbringing. I always like to start where people uh, were born and raised and then a little bit about their family, if you don't mind jumping in. Yeah, sure. I was uh, born and raised in New York City um, in Manhattan in a neighborhood called Murray Hill. And uh, I was there sort of in and out growing up because my we were very blessed to have had a, a house in at the eastern tip of Long Island. So I got to spend weekdays in uh, Manhattan in the thick of it. And I went to public school my whole life. Shout out nice. to New York City Public Schools. <laughs> and um, then then weekends in, yeah, in a town called Remsenburg. And so I was, I was pretty lucky there. You know, I didn't get into too much trouble, which I think you would expect from a kid growing up in New York City. But I, you know, had a pretty good upbringing. And then I, um, for college, I went to University of Miami. I've always sort of been pulled to warmer climates. And, uh, you know, growing up, I think it was like, you know, the South kind of interested me. I, I kid you not, I applied to University of Georgia. I, I applied wow. to a bunch of Florida schools. I don't know why, but, <laughs> you know, I mean, those are, I mean, not to knock them. I've always, you know, kind of had like a thing for warmer climates and, and just the Southern hospitality and, uh, Ended up going to school in Miami, which is a city that I love. And uh, I started as a pre-med student. I was double majoring in, um, uh, well, I was majoring in biology at the time. But then I ended up switching my major to a double major in film and psychology. And, uh, and around that time is when I actually, before we started rolling, you were, we were talking about music a little bit. At that time was when I started to pick up the guitar and started messing around with the guitar. And uh, that's, you know, all those sort of pieces collided to um, sort of, I, I had the, the, you know, the sort of gut instinct that uh, locking myself up to the rigors of academia that, you know, the med school route would entail and ultimately going to med school wasn't gonna be my, the route to happiness for me at that time. Because mm -hmm. I was really sort of starting to get to, um, you know, introspect and learn that I, you know, had these artistic sensibilities that, you know, maybe in, in, in high school, 
I didn't, I wasn't that tuned into. Um, but I started playing guitar. I started to, you know, express myself creatively. I sat in on an introductory film course and I became enamored with, uh, you know, storytelling and, and art. And I double majored in psychology to keep one foot in science. But that ended up, you know, being, I think, the best choice. It, you know, I mm. post-graduation, I got a job hosting a TV network that Al Gore co-founded called Current TV, which was a news and information network for young people, which was like sort of a dream job um, scenario that I got to do for six years. So uh, it's been a really sort of interesting trajectory and it's all come around to the fact that now I get to do health um, professionally and I write about it and I speak about it and it's become my sort of, not just my passion, but my obsession. It is, it's interesting. So I studied civil engineering at Vanderbilt uh, which, you know, no knock to University of Miami. I know it's the, the Harvard of Coral Gables, but uh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> I'm kidding. Uh, but having to go through physics and chemistry and countless calculus courses, I feel like it, it really pushed me to uh, need the creative side of things because that's a, all like, you know, studying concrete and how it sets and studying the forces and how they can affect the structure of things was really interesting to me, but I felt the other side of me dying. And um, so that's when I started playing guitar a little bit, although not to the same extent you do. I was telling Max, I, I you guys listening should check out uh, Max Gavir. Don't cry was one of my favorite songs. Although we could work on the costume there with the, with the sunglasses. I don't know if you remember <laughs> recording that in, in the hallway. <laughs> And then also Cold War, but uh, he's he's a fantastic musician. Um, but I feel like having to go so far on the you know hard sciences really encouraged me to like want to explore the creative side of life. So maybe sounds like you had a similar experience. Yeah, man, I really appreciate that uh, that you know your journey and how it how it mirrors mine. It's not I didn't switch because I wasn't excelling in the sciences. Like I did pretty well. Oh, that's I why remember. I switched. Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I mean, there were some, you know, I remember that some of the professors that I had were more dry than others. And that was really kind of like a knife to the gut for me. You know, I didn't, I just didn't want to have to sit through and focus with a boring professor. Cause I thought that, you know, I'd had some really excellent teachers and I think it's all about, you know, your, your, your fascination for the subject relies so heavily on how it's, how the, the topic is delivered and how the teachings right. are presented and so um but yeah i just like you know growing up in new york like my parents worked they were they were entrepreneurs um they you know worked in the garment center of new york and they were raised they grew up very poor and they they worked really hard to make you know a good living for them and their family um and uh you know thankfully they didn't push me to go into like a professional career like being you know becoming a doctor or a lawyer but i was just genuinely interested in um in medicine but growing up i just was not you know i thought that like whether i thought that if a person was an artist they were born that way you know that there were it was just like there were two classes of people those who were artists and those who were not and um and i just kind of like halfway through college i became friends with people who had more artistic leanings and i realized that that there was something in me you know a, a creative side that needed to be expressed and i kind of just was able to predict the future of like going through the medical school route and that that newly discovered side of me that i really appreciated at the time would just end up withering away and i didn't want that to happen so um for better or worse i ended up uh 
double majoring in film and psychology. And now it's amazing, but everything that I've ever sort of, you know, all of the teachings and, you know, whether it is, whether it be storytelling or health and science, it's all sort of come full circle. And I now get to use it all in what I do. So it's, it's pretty crazy. Do you, do you feel like I got this feedback a lot playing football? Um, because I felt like when I was solely focused on just playing football, whether it's at the collegiate level or the professional level, I was not only a worse football player, but I was like generally worse in other areas of my life. Hmm. And everyone was saying, as I was trying to like diversify myself and, and just like regain that excitement by doing things that I loved, which then sparked my excitement about football as well. They were like, Hey man, like this is a big distraction. You should tone it back. Did you ever feel like having the different interests, having one foot in science, one foot in film was distracting to your ultimate goals? Um, well, I do agree that you kind of have to pick a thing and focus on it. Um, mm -hmm. And in fact, that's one of the reasons why most people, you know, don't know that I play music at all. And that's because <laughs> I've found it very difficult to kind of, I mean, focus on two things just in my own life with my own time, you know. Um, but then also in, from a branding standpoint, I mean, it sounds so right. cheesy to discuss branding, right? Like it's like this uh, it's like a business term for one, but I mean, you have to kind of think of yourself as a brand and you've yeah. got to kind of take the thing that you want to be good at and own it and project that. And I just kind of, um, yeah, I mean, from, from that side of things, I felt that if I were simultaneously, you know, talking about my findings in, in health while promoting the fact that I was <laughs> trying to get my music career off the ground, that like, I would probably not be successful at either of those things. There was actually yeah. a fortune cookie that I read. It sounds funny, but, uh, I read a fortune cookie once that was very um, helpful to me in terms of contextualizing this. And that is that a person who chases two rabbits catches neither. Huh. And that resonated with me because there were times when I've ch chased at the same time, one to two to three, you know, to four sometimes different rabbits. And uh, you really, I mean, that saying couldn't be more true. And it was only when I started to kind of like, prune away like the the things on the periphery that i could kind of do without focusing on full-time um that the one thing that i really uh you know my 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 mission my purpose like the the, the one thing that i felt that i could offer the world that's different and that it you know was going to help make it a better place was when that become that was when that became or started to become uh successful Sorry, I didn't, I didn't preface you on this, and this is a tough question, but how do you feel like you found that mission or purpose uh, in life? Was it time? Was it doing these different things? Or what was it? Um, I would say, well, I've, yeah, as I mentioned, I've always been passionate about health and um, nutrition, just in my own life, fitness. I'm sure, you know, you were yeah. too. Many, I, th I think many guys, you know, tend to be, but I've always kind of really had a penchant for understanding the science behind, you know, fitness and, and, and nutrition. But it really wasn't until my mom got sick um, in 2011 that I, everything basically faded to the background and um, it became very easy for me to fixate on, on health. And that's, mm. once I started to dive into the research there. So I'll, you know, I'll just sort of like give you a little bit of backstory. When I left that TV network that I hosted for six years, I started spending more and more time back in New York City, which as I mentioned is where I'm from, 
with and around my mom, who I've always been very close with. I'm the firstborn, I'm the oldest in the family. And at the age of 58, in about the year 2011, she started to show the very earliest symptoms of what would ultimately be diagnosed as a mysterious form of dementia, sort of rare and niche um, form of dementia. Most people are familiar with Alzheimer's disease, which is the most common form of that condition. And, um, you know, I love my mom to death and she, you know, she was, is the most important person in my life. And when she got sick, I decided to kind of use all of that, you know, the, the passion and the interest that I had and, you know, the tools that I had learned as an investigative journalist working for that TV network to become a bit of like a, I guess you could say an independent investigator to try to understand why this would have happened to my mom. And the more that I would read and it would sort of all kind of like fit like puzzle pieces in my brain and form a narrative, um, you know, cause I think science is just as much of a story uh, as anything really. And mm. I started to communicate my findings with the world, you know, through social media and just with people in my periphery. And I realized that I had a, I was able to get a really good grasp, not only on the science, but the, the communication of it in a way that was, um, you know, that sounded uh, authoritative because I was so dedicated to communicating what I was learning about accurately and responsibly, but with a sort of air of optimism because, you know, at the end of the day, I think that diet and lifestyle can have a profound impact on the way that we feel as well as our health outcomes, which I think the research has, has shown in many cases. Um, and so because people started to listen to me and because I realized that you know, nobody else was talking about this topic and certainly not people that looked like me, you know, younger people. Um, I realized that this was actually what I was meant to do, you know. If you're the only person that can do something, I think that you have to do it. And mm. I had this powerful story um, with my mom and I knew that that, could, that would resonate with people. Um, I knew that I was a good communicator and that I had an ability to understand science and, um, and that I was dedicated to responsibly communicating what it was that I understood and what it was that I didn't understand. And I just kind of knew that that was kind of my calling. And I started putting out content online. Um, I began on Facebook and then I started putting some stuff on YouTube and Instagram was actually the last to come. Uh, but my work started to get noticed by TV shows like the Dr. Oz show. Um, they had me on, I think like 50 to 60 times at this point, which is insane. <laughs> Yeah, it's a lot. I've just, you know, and, and yeah, so they, they call me whenever a new study comes out in regard to brain health, Alzheimer's disease prevention, they enlist me to come and sort of decipher the research for the masses because one of the most shocking findings um, that I made, you know, when beginning this research is that dementia and other neurodegenerative conditions often begin in the brain decades before the first symptom, hmm. like 30 to 40 years sometimes. So if you are showing up to your neurologist's office already with the symptoms of cognitive decline, chances are, you know, that disease process is already a couple of decades in motion. And there's a paucity of treatment options for people with conditions like Alzheimer's disease and other forms of dementia. So I realized that the only reason why I became interested in dementia is because my mom had it and that it put me in a really powerful position to get other younger people potentially to pay attention to all of the things that I was learning about how to, you know, how to better care for your brain in a way that makes you not only feel better in the moment and have better focus, attention, even mental health, depression, anxiety, things like that, but then also to help minimize your chances for developing that condition down the, down the road as well. Mm. 
And, um, and so, yeah, that's what led to me writing my first book, Genius Foods. And my, my new book comes out uh, in March. It's called The Genius Life. Uh, Max is being humble. His first book was a New York Times bestselling uh, book. So congrats on that. And um, it's, it is cool if I could stop and go on a tangent. I, I feel like you do such an amazing job in that book at explaining things uh, at an understandable level. And I, I don't want to falsely credit something, but I, I imagine it has something to do with you, uh, just like we were talking about earlier, not just being a scientist, you were so much more, and that way you were able to com communicate to not just scientists, but to so many more people. Um, and that's cool how that plays in. But uh, I was listening to an interview uh, that you did, and one of the lines that stuck out to me was, you need to become an expert in your own health, which... I think is so amazing and powerful uh, and true. And you've certainly done that. I think you're a self-proclaimed, um, what is it, uh, citizen scientist, is that right? Uh, yeah, yeah I, 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 appreciate, <laughs> I, I appreciate that term. I mean, you know, I don't really have a good description for what I, what I am. I mean, I call myself a health and science journalist, citizen scientist works, I'm a truth seeker. And I think that, um, I do firmly believe that we should become experts in our own health. And I don't believe that you ought to become a PhD or a medical doctor to have a basic understanding of how food is going to affect your body and how exercise, how crucial exercise is for the body and brain, how important sleep is. And so just communicating these ideas with my fellow human beings, um, you know, I don't know what that makes me, but I'm definitely passionate about helping others, um, you know, if there's at all a chance, avert the kind of illness that my mom developed because it was truly heartbreaking. And, you know, I've had the, the good fortune to be able to go to some of the world's top medical institutions with my mom, the Cleveland Clinic in, in Ohio. We went to Johns Hopkins in Baltimore, Columbia in New York. And in every instance I was met with, I'm sure what many of your listeners, what many families are, are familiar with when they have a sick loved one, that there's just not a lot of options and the options that are available are, are usually there to treat the symptoms, but they don't often get to the underlying cause of the disease. And I think the, the focus really needs to be put on prevention when it comes to conditions like dementia, Alzheimer's disease, but also heart disease, cancer, um, and, and, and autoimmunity and type two diabetes and all the kinds of things that we're seeing now saddling modern society with. And I don't claim to have the answer for every condition for every person, certainly not. But I think that we are at a point now, thanks to science, which is, you know, amazing, that we don't have to sit on our hands idly as we await some fate that, you know, that, uh, that may come our way if we're not, you know, more careful with our choices. The modern world, I think, you know, in many ways, the odds are stacked against us. And I think that my mom, um, was sort of the canary in the coal mine for the Western way of life. The fact that so many of us, you know, are sedentary. Um, leisure time, physical activity is at an all time low. Uh, nutrition, you know, I mean, 60% of the calories that your average person consumes come from what are called ultra processed foods. These foods are, you know, highly damaging to our health, especially when, when chronically consumed. And so most, but most people at the end of the day aren't aware of the connection between food and lifestyle and those kinds of long-term health outcomes. Because when most people get sick, you know, one of the, one of the top questions they, they ask themselves are, why me? And 
So if I can help unshroud the mystery a little bit by helping people better understand the choices and how they relate to their health, then I'll feel like I've you know done my job in some small way. So I, I would definitely recommend uh, reading Genius Foods. I'm curious if you could give the listeners a, a general um, statement on, on your approach to health. You mentioned food and lifestyle really is kind of what it boils down to. But if you could just maybe like say, you know, this is what my stance is on that. For sure. I mean, it's a, it's a whole foods approach, you know, cutting out the packaged processed foods. Generally, um, you know, I'm of the belief that real food are the in- ingredients. They don't have long ingredients lists. They're the ingredients that you use to cook food in your own house. I'm talking about, you know, foods that are, that hang out around the perimeter of your supermarket. Um, generally they don't make health claims. You know, it's only packaged processed foods, um, uh, made by food manufacturers that make health claims. You're not going to see a health claim on an avocado, for example. Um, but foods that, that are kept perishable foods around the perimeter of your supermarket are by and large going to be the best for you in the supermarket. All supermarkets are actually designed the same way. I don't know if you know that Andrew, but if you go to, if you go to any supermarket, um, the perimeter of the supermarket is where all the perishable food, you know, is kept in refrigerators. Um, and it's the aisles where you find all the shelf stable packaged processed foods. And those are the kinds of foods that we now eat with abandon. As I mentioned, 60% of the calories that we consume come from those kinds of foods. And usually those foods are made with pulverized refined grains, which send your blood sugar through the roof. Um, they're nutrient deficient, essentially. That's why if you look at the you know, ingredients list of many packaged processed foods, they all have to be enriched with synthetic vitamins. Because of the mere processing of those foods depletes them of, of vitamins and minerals that we know that we need. In fact, 90% of people are now deficient in at least one essential nutrient. So we're underfed. I mean, we're, uh, we're overfed, but we're undernourished. And wow. this is, you know, certainly evident when you step off, you know, the plane at any airport in the U.S., you look around. It's, it's unfortunate that so many people are now struggling with ever-expanding waistlines, which this is not a cosmetic problem. This is a, a health problem. Um, there's research that has found a direct inverse correlation between the sizes, the size of one's waist and their total brain volume. So it seems, you know, that as the waist expands, the brain shrinks. So I think it becomes a lot easier to, uh, it's a a metaphor that I like to use it. Were you a game of Thrones fan? (laughs) Until the last season, but yeah, the last season wasn't great, but you know how they had to, (laughs) You know how they had to kill the Night King so that all the White Walkers would die? All you yes. got to do is kill the Night King, right? Yeah. So in the modern world, sticking to a diet that, that centers around minimally processed foods, that's killing the Night King because what that's going to do is that's going to help your appetite better regulate itself, right? So that you're not prone to overconsume these, these processed foods, which basically drive overconsumption, right? I mean, that, 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 saying once you pop, you can't stop. I mean, that's like a truism with scientific backing. A bag of chips, it's not meant to be consumed in moderation. A pint of ice cream, it's not meant to be, they're not meant to be consumed in moderation. That's why, you know, a brilliant company like Halo Top, which I have no affiliation with, now goes and puts the total calorie count for the pint right on the, right on the front of the, bo- of the pint. Because they know that ice cream is like a hyper palatable food and that people are not, you know, these foods are very difficult to moderate our consumption of them. So, the inverse of that is to stick to, you know, whole foods, grass-fed beef, kale, uh, spinach, you know, any number of dark leafy greens, cruciferous vegetables, 
um, eggs, wild fish, uh, you know, chicken, if it's free range, you know, um, nuts, seeds. I'm a huge fan of dark chocolate, fruits, low sugar fruits like berries, um, avocados, which are actually a fruit. Um, and then using, you know, cutting out the, the industrially processed oils like canola oil, corn oil, soybean oil. These are highly inflammatory products. Um, they're, you know, damaging to the brain. They're damaging, damaging to your vasculature, the, your cardiovascular system. Um, so I would say that that's like the primary, uh, thing, cutting out the processed foods, you know, like avoiding the vending machine. Um, and, uh, you know, and just sticking to foods that like, you know, you can pronounce all of the ingredients and, you know, you can cook them in any, you know, myriad of ways in your house, but ultimately like, that's the way to go. And actually, I'm not just, uh, you know, pulling this concept out of my butt. This was shown <laughs> this year in a wonderful study um, that was funded by the National Institutes of Health, where they found that they, it was a crossover trial where they took um, a population of people and they allowed them to consume all of the food that they wanted uh, for four weeks, I believe. It was either two or four weeks. And what they found was that when given the opportunity to eat all the food that they wanted, but they, the foods had to be processed foods, that these people consumed about 500 additional calories per day. And you know, this is one of the reasons for this is that packaged processed foods are very calorie dense. It's beca it becomes a lot more difficult for your body to like understand when you've filled it up when you're eating these kinds of foods. But then when they switched those, that population over to a minimally processed diet, they ate actually at a calorie deficit, which allowed them to effortlessly lose weight. So eating this way, you know, might actually help you to lose weight without becoming, having to become obsessed with macros like, you know, carbs and fat or without having to count calories, which I know nobody really wants to do. So Bro, let me just stop for a second and just digest everything you just dropped. That was insane. <laughs> you just ripped off so many stats. <laughs> like what the heck? Also, the way you just described calorie dense is probably the best way I've ever heard it described. Uh, so thank you for that. I also have no idea what a cruciferous vegetable is. Um, so I'm going to have to Google that after this. But um. I'll tell you, there, it's uh, like, <laughs> you know, broccoli, cabbage, Brussels sprouts, kale, um, radishes. What are some other cruciferous vegetables? Uh, mustard greens. They're all cruciferous vegetables. What, what sets them apart from... Uh, you know, spinach, for example, is that cruciferous vegetables create compounds when you chew them that actually help your body detoxify. So, you know, a lot of people are spending money on detox teas and things like that, which are basically just overpriced laxatives. Um, but cruciferous vegetables are among the most detoxifying foods in the grocery store. Like wow. they, they provide precursor molecules that your body uses to create compounds that your body will use to detoxify itself, purge environmental toxins and things like that. But then also the vegetables themselves stimulate that detoxification. So, you know, you eat broccoli, for example, and it's a, it's a cleansing food. Um, and so, yeah, so I'm a huge fan of, of cruciferous vegetables. I guess I might need to eat some more vegetables to have a brain that can uh, hold all the information like you just shared with us. I'm loving this conversation, but let's pause and hear from our sponsors. New and exciting opportunities are coming your way. You just have to be ready for them. And it all starts with earning your master's degree at Ashford University. Make this the year you advance your career by earning your master's degree. Get started today at Ashford University. I got my master's degree back in 2015 and I'm so grateful that I did. 
Nothing feels better than taking your career into your own hands and furthering your education. I got a degree in general management and can honestly say it's been one of the best decisions I've made. Ashford University's online master's degree programs allow you to learn at your own pace and you can study wherever you're the most comfortable learning. Their six week long courses allow you to take one course at a time and the GRE, GMAT and other standardized test scores are not required for enrolling at Ashford University, which makes enrollment super easy. Get ready to grab new opportunities. Start your master's degree today. Enroll now by going to ashford.edu east. That's ashford.edu east to start your master's degree today. Ashford.edu east. Is there something that interferes with your happiness or is preventing you from achieving your goals? Do you feel like you don't know where to go to talk with someone about it all? Don't worry, BetterHelp Online Counseling is there for you. I know that counseling can sometimes be overwhelming, but BetterHelp connects you with a professional counselor in a safe and private online environment. It is so convenient. What's great is that you can get help on your own time and at your own pace. I know that life gets crazy sometimes, so you can even schedule secure video or phone sessions, plus chat and text with your therapist. And of course, everything you share with them is always confidential. Get help on your own time and at your own pace. BetterHelp offers licensed professional counselors who are specialized in depression, stress, anxiety, relationships, sleeping, trauma, and so many more. Best of all, it's a truly affordable option. Redirected listeners get 10% off your first month with discount code REDIRECTED. So why not get started today? Go to betterhelp.com redirected. Simply fill out a questionnaire to help them assess your needs and get matched with a counselor you'll love. That's betterhelp.com redirected. I think it's safe to say that it's truly a wireless world and everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds. But before you go dropping hundreds of dollars on a pair, you've got to go check out the wireless earbuds from Raycon. Raycon earbuds start at about half the price of any other premium wireless earbuds on the market and they sound just as amazing as the other top audio brands that you know. Raycon just came out with a newer model, the E25. It's a pair I have and it's their best one yet. It has six hours of playtime, seamless Bluetooth pairing, more bass, and a more compact design that gives you a nice noise-isolating fit. Unlike some of your other wireless options, Raycon earbuds are both stylish and discreet with no dangling wires or stems. The company was co-founded by Ray J, and other celebrities like Snoop Dogg and Cardi B are obsessed with Raycon, so pick up a pair and see what the hype is all about. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get 15% off your order at buyraycon.com east. That's buyraycon.com east for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buyraycon.com east. Let's get back to it. Not to get um, grim, but you told a story um, about when you first realized your mom was sick and uh it was, I think, your dad asking her, hey, what year is it? Hmm. And I almost teared up when you told that story because she, she couldn't remember it. Um, on a couple fronts, you know, I've been emotional with my new daughter and just realizing, like, you know, every day as she grows, like, visibly older and, like, matures, she's an infant. And it's like, holy smokes, how can, how can I stay along uh, in her life as long as possible? Um, but then also I had two weeks after she was born, my first realization that I'm not this, uh, you know, durable elite shape person. I, I won't be that way forever. And I was, I was power cleaning and, you know, it was a, a mix of factors, but I ended up blacking out for the first time ever passed out in a weight room and ended up fortunately only got nine staples in my head. And it could have ended so much differently if I fell towards the wall or fell on the corner of a, 
you know, whatever. But um, in reflecting on that, just the realization that you're not around forever, like no matter who you are and, and things do change was like, okay, I need to be an expert, expert in my own, own life, not just to conquer this issue that I uh, just experienced, but also to like produce longevity in my life for me, my wife and my, my daughter. Um, and so I, it's, it's hard to communicate to people who haven't had instances in their life, like, uh, you did in yours and, and me and mine. Um, but it is so important to realize that like health is a, a pretty like, uh, fragile thing, you know? Mm. Um, so I don't know, I don't know the best way to communicate that, but I, I feel passionately about it now. Yeah. Dude, well, you're so right. I mean, that's, that's the whole thing is that like, you know, you can walk out of your house and falling fuselage from a jet, you know, can take you out. Like you just, right. you know, nothing is guaranteed in this life. You know, right. you can be killed walking the street, you know, crossing the street. You could be diagnosed with some incurable condition tomorrow. Like that's why you've got to make, make each day count. And I think that you know, part of what that means to me is that we can't be short-sighted, um, you know, with like horse blinders on. We have to think about like the big picture and the fact that, you know, some of these conditions for which there is no meaningful treatment, let alone cure, they begin way earlier than the presentation of symptoms. And once you develop that condition, um, you're, for the most part, screwed. I mean, a lot of people, one of the most common questions that I get asked is, you know, so did you put your mom on a diet and, and, and how's she doing now? And, you know, I wish every time I've been asked that question, I've wished nothing more than to be able to provide a positive, you know, response to it. But, you know, dietary change, for example, is one of the most difficult things for any human being to do, let alone somebody who has dementia. And, you know, I love my mom so much. The last thing that I would want to do is compromise her quality of life in a way that, you know, was just, you know, that yeah. any, any comfort that she could have, you know, in those, in those moments, I wouldn't want to take that away from her. If she wanted a cookie or a piece of cake or whatever. Mm. I mean, certainly at first I was trying to pull her, you know, pull those things away from her. But then I realized, like, I love my mom. I want my mom to be happy and to like experience joy. And she's, she can experience joy in the way that I can experience joy. Because it's not like she, you know, she wasn't able to leave her her home, you know, at a certain yeah. point. Um, everything that she did, ne you know, needed to be assisted from getting up off the couch to going to the bathroom. And so, no, I didn't, I didn't put my mom on some kind of rigorous genius foods plan. And ultimately, uh, what ended up taking my mom's life was a, uh, you know, like another other freak that I had no precedent for in my family. So it was Labor Day uh, last year, 2018, that, you know, my mom had had dementia for seven years, basically, and it was really, really difficult. And then Labor Day of, la of 2018, she was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. Mm -hmm. And the doctors gave her a three-month um, prognosis and, uh, you know, that, that, that she wasn't going to be around after three months. And that's exactly how long it took. Um, wow. for the cancer to, to take her life. And we had, there was, you know, I mean, I had experienced, it was like such a profound sense of deja vu because what I experienced with doctors at the beginning, seven years prior, when my, when we were first trying to get a diagnosis for why my mom's brain seemed to have 
been acting the way that it was, I experienced in every instance what I've come to call diagnose and adios, right? And that's sort of a, a term that I've used to just describe how lacking, you know, medical treatment, you know, viable medical treatments are for a person with dementia. They basically give you these biochemical band-aids and they send you on your way. But the same thing happened when my mom was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. There was l nothing that doctors could offer her and, you know, the disease robbed her, you know, of her life and it was painful and it was tragic and it was, and it was awful. And um, the point is that, you know, crazy diagnoses like that can happen to any of us at any time. None of us are immortal, you know, or, or somehow immune from those kinds of things. One of my closest friends the other day, he, was, he told me he was at the dentist and he had a seizure for the first time and he ended up going to the emergency room. Really healthy guy, you know, like great body, eats as well as I do for the most part. And they found out that he had a, um, a venous malformation in his brain that, you know, basically ruptured and was causing bleeding in his brain that they now need to go in and perform surgery and fix. So all that is to say, you really have to take care of yourself to the best yeah. that you can. And yeah, life is fragile, as you so eloquently put it. Um, I'm curious to hear what you, what daily disciplines you have uh, to maintain the level of health that you desire. One thing that I've become aware of, um, and my mentor said this when he had open heart surgery, you know, like in the moment after I blacked out and after he had his open heart surgery, it's easy for like the, you know, the week after, maybe two weeks after to like really have this sense of resolve and and the, the desire to like change but you know we're creatures of adaptation and how easily we forget uh that we need to have a sense of urgency that that um we we do need to do things daily to to better our health and so i'm curious what some of those things might be for you i mean i would say that i'm definitely religious about my um, two, well, two things. I would say I'm, I'm religious about my sleep. Sleep is sacred, you know, so I'm always trying to maximize my sleep opportunity, whether that means going to bed earlier if I have an early appointment or, um, you know, making sure that my bedroom is just really well set up for quality sleep, meaning no lights, even dim lights. You know, I try to make sure that my room is completely dark when I go to sleep and cool. I try to keep my bedroom around 65 degrees. Um, you know, it's not going to be that cold under the covers, but like, you know, we tend to, humans tend to sleep better in cooler temperatures. Um, so I'm, you know, sleep is crucial. And just to, you know, touch on a little bit of, of why sleep is so important. It's the master horm hormonal regulator. Uh, so, you know, hormones guide everything from, um, you know, our predisposition to fat storage, to hunger levels, to our metabolic rate, to even like libido and sexual function. And sleep is when, you know, it's basically the marionette puppet that like, or the marionette, it's, the, it, it's like the, at the marionette, at the helm of the marionette strings that basically guide the proper functioning of all the hormones in your body. To the degree that if you're underslept on just, you know, one night of shortened sleep, you become basically uh, insulin resistant the next day, which essentially means that you're, you're almost pre-diabetic to the tune of having gained 20 to 30 pounds on just one night of shortened sleep. It's also what? crucial for, yeah, Jeez. yeah. Just one night of shortened sleep, they find that a person, a person who is metabolically healthy and insulin sensitive, meaning your body, your cells properly respond to the hormone insulin, which, 
you know, is really important for helping keep your blood sugar levels down, that on one night of shortened sleep, a metabolically healthy person the next day is basically pre-diabetic. And this is temporary, um, but they found that it become insulin resistant to the, you know, almost on par with what you would experience if you, you know, gained 20 to 30 pounds overnight. Wow. It's also sleep is when our brains cleanse themselves of proteins that can aggregate and form plaques. So, you know, nobody wants plaque on their teeth. We certainly shouldn't want plaque uh, in our brains because these kinds of plaques typify conditions like Alzheimer's disease. And we know now that when we sleep that every 20 minutes, there's actually a pulse of cerebrospinal fluid during sleep that cleanses our brains of these problematic proteins. Um, keeping our brains clean, basically. So it's like a free power wash every night while we sleep. And so wow. that's like a, that's like a non-negotiable for me. I, I need to make sure that I'm getting about eight hours of sleep uh, every night. And certainly I'm human, so it doesn't always work out in my favor, but I try my best. Um, the other area where I would say that I'm pretty religious, uh, I mean, you know, I'm definitely a healthy eater, but um, but I would say exercise is like an area where I'm uh, very sort of regimented. Like I make sure that I'm working out, you know, I probably get exercise, um, five to six days a week and it's not going to be all super intense necessarily, mm -hmm. but you know, I'm trying not to let myself go a day, maybe one day I'll have a day. It's just purely a rest day, mm -hmm. but whether I'm in the gym doing resistance training or just, you know, making sure that I'm increasing my walking, uh, or maybe going on like a light, a light hike, Every day I'm trying to stay active, active to some degree because when we're sedentary, blood literally drains from our brains. Um, and that's, mm. you know, it's one of the reasons why I think people feel so crappy after a long day sitting behind their desks. Uh, but just, you know, every 20 minutes getting up and some, some basic movement, whether it's like light stretching or, you know, even just walking um, actually helps to bring fresh blood back into the brain. And exercise is one of the most important things that you can do. In fact, people who have a genetic predisposition to developing Alzheimer's disease, you can actually negate in many ways the, the negative effects of that gene with exercise. So wow. it's, a, it's, a, it's medicine for the brain. So um, yeah, I work out pretty religiously. Max, in the, uh, in the Genius Life book, you talk about um, the importance of connecting to the natural world. Can you talk about that? I'm, a, I'm an Eagle Scout myself. And, nice. uh, so I, I really resonated with that, but I'd love to hear your view. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, that's kind of like where the genius life diverges from genius foods. It's really about the simple things that you can do in your day-to-day -day life that are going to have big wins in terms of how you feel and your health in the long term. And reconnecting to nature, I think, is a vital part of that equation because humans are animals at the end of the day. I mean, we're we're at the top of the food chain, certainly, but like, you know, there are aspects of our biology that, that yearn to commune with the natural world. And today, when you consider the fact that 93% of our time is spent indoors or under roofs, uh, yeah, it's crazy, that's insane. Um, that, you know, there, it's leaving our biology, our bodies wanting in many ways. And we could talk about the fact that you know, urban dwelling and, and just being disconnected from nature causes us to become more stressed out. So stress is reaching epidemic proportions. It's an indiscriminate killer. And I cite research that is coming out now from all around the world, but primarily in Japan, where they study a form of therapy called shurinyoku, which is basically um, forest bathing, 
they take people who are stressed out and they immerse them into the natural world. And what they find is that just a 20 minute um, excursion into nature can significantly reduce levels of cortisol, which is the body's stress mm -hmm. hormone. And many people are walking around with chronically elevated cortisol. It's, that's you know, problematic for many reasons. You know, when you're chronically stressed out and your cortisol levels are, are always high, um, which they shouldn't be, it causes you to store more fat in your midsection, which is the most dangerous type of fat. It's called visceral fat. It basically hugs your internal organs um, and is associated. It's the, it's the kind of fat actually that's um, probably most closely associated with the brain shrinkage that I mentioned earlier. But then chronically elevated cortisol can also shrink the memory center of the brain, uh, the hippocampus, which is the most, you know, one of the most vulnerable structures in the brain to aging and is one of the first structures to be affected in Alzheimer's disease. So, you know, regularly getting out and experiencing like breathing in fresh, clean air and just seeing greenery, I think is crucial from the standpoint of just like mental health and de-stressing. Then I talk about the fact that, um, you know, I mentioned briefly the benefits of sleep and how important sleep is. Good sleep actually begins the morning of. Um, and one of the reasons for that is that our genes in many ways are regulated by um, the time of day. And for our, our genes to know what time of day it is, um, they rely on the light that enters our eyes or doesn't enter our eyes. So, you know, first thing in the morning, what I try to do most days is I try to spend some time either by a window um, or actually outside because when we experience or perceive rather light at a certain level of intensity, about a thousand lux, it, sends off, it sets off our, it, it essentially anchors our body's circadian clock. And circadian, it means about day. So it's our circadian clock is this internal timekeeper that dictates in many ways hormonal fluctuations, um, you know, how our neurotransmitters, you know, chemical messengers in the brain are firing. And again, you know, so many aspects of our being and how we experience life is dictated by, you know, these internal cues that we're not necessarily conscious of, but that we can influence with, you know, simple things like going outside and, and making sure that we're getting good, bright light from the sun um, in the mornings. And, you know, we don't have to necessarily get like direct sunlight for, for our circadian rhythms to become anchored the way that they, the way that they need to be, you know, even on an overcast day, you're getting a light intensity. That's, um, that's crucial for your brain to know what, what time of day it is. And then to set off the 24 hour timer that dictates healthy digestion, focus, clarity, you know, energy levels and things like that. And then at the end of the day, that same cycle is there to help you sort of wind down to achieve high quality sleep. And you don't want to interfere with that at the, you know, at the later end of the day um, either. In fact, I talk about how, you know, maintaining our body's circadian uh, timing has become one of the central challenges of modern life. And it's due in part because of the fact that so many of us are, you know, indoors when we should be outdoors getting that bright light about a half an hour a day is pretty much, um, what we need. But then also later on in the day, so many of us are exposed to bright light from devices and overhead lighting in our, you know, homes or restaurants or supermarkets or drugstores. And what that does in the later end of the day is it tricks our brains into thinking that it's daytime when it's not. And so it just causes that internal clock to become, to go completely out of sync. And 
this is a problem. It's not just, I mean, about how you feel. It's not just like affecting your sleep, but it's affecting your risk for disease as well. So there's data that shows that people who are night shift workers are at higher risk for certain cancers. Um, and there are probably a number of, you know, variables that uh, could potentially explain that. But mechanistically, when you look at the fact that, you know, melatonin, for example, is um, suppressed, the release of melatonin is suppressed by bright light in the evening. Melatonin is not just a hormone that's there to help us go to sleep. Melatonin is actually a cancer fighting hormone. It's an antioxidant. It's involved in autophagy, which is a term uh, used to describe when your cells actually clean house and clean up like dirty or broken, you know, protein components um, or worn out organelles. And melatonin is crucially important. But when we're, you know, spending basically all of our evenings plugged into our devices with super bright light entering our eyes or, you know, under the bright lights of um, a gym or, you know, if we make a late night run to a drugstore and the fluorescent lights, sometimes those lights can reach a thousand lux, which tells our brain again that it's daytime, that we're essentially shutting off melatonin production or at least greatly suppressing it um, when it's a really beneficial hormone. So, you know. Let me just do uh, this then. There we go. Okay. Oh man. Well, what time? <laughs> it, what? <laughs> it's uh, it's four fifty here in Nashville, and just want to make sure my, my body, y your up. melatonin levels. Well, <laughs> yeah. you know, I mean, the thing is, if you were outdoors all day, your your melatonin levels would rise the minute the sun would naturally start to set. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, if the only light that you're exposed to is natural light, then you're completely protected. The problem comes from like artificial lights, artificial lights that are bright enough to set off proteins in our eye that basically communicate with our brain, making our brains think that it's daytime. Um, and that doesn't happen with like the lamp in your house, for example, it's not bright enough. It doesn't happen um, from you know, the light emitted by the shining moon or stars or even a campfire because that would have screwed our hunter-gatherer ancestors, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, our, our bodies are really smart. I mean, they're, they're beautifully designed. Um, so, you know, I wouldn't worry about a lamp or a night light or, or anything like that. But if you have a massive, like, for example, my brother has an 85 inch television, you know, and he all night is like streaming stuff. And, you know, sometimes I'll go over to my brother's house and I'll like watch whatever he's watching with him. And it's just a massive amount of light that you're looking at, especially when the TV goes white for whatever reason. It's like, might as well be daytime. That's the kind of light that you really want to be worried about and try to limit your exposure to later on in the day and especially within the two to three hours before bed. Dude, we're getting a lesson today. Thank you. For this. <laughs> um, all right. Some rapid fire questions here. Let's do it. The favorite segment you did on Max and Jason, Jason still up. Oh my God, <laughs> dude, <laughs> you did a, you did a deep dive. I'm, I'm impressed. Oh, appreciate it. You did more research than I think any podcast host <laughs> ever. I mean, no, this is a shout out to you. Like, you're, I hope your audience appreciates that. This is, this is awesome. Um, man, that's really hard to say, seeing as how that was like ancient history. But um, I would have to say my favorite uh, segments that I did when I was, when I had the TV show um, on Current, I, uh, Probably any time I got to talk about how technology was, um, you know, augmenting health and the human condition. I'm a big fan of tech and uh, especially at that time, um, you know, how technology 
is you know allowing us to explore the genome in unprecedented ways or you know new advancements in the world of prosthetics for veterans for example you know so anytime i got to talk about that kind of stuff i always found it really interesting and then in tandem with that um i always love profiling my favorite musicians uh, i kind of used that position to um I, I leveraged it to get to become friendly with uh, musicians who've inspired me um so i got to you know do segments with like some of my favorite musical heroes and that was really fun which are name one musical hero um i got to do a segment with uh a guy named um jacob golden so i did a segment you could probably still find it on youtube but this guy named jacob golden he one of the most talented artists i've ever you know heard and you know just truly an artist, like really didn't know how to market himself, but I was able to give him his, his first major U S exposure on TV. No way. Yeah. Which was awesome. Um, speaking of prosthetics, I always thought that, um, seeing the new prosthetics where like they're, I don't even know how the heck they work, but they, you can literally move them with your brain or whatever, uh, was amazing. And it is cool to see biotech, uh, technology. Um, Next question. What is the most recent cover that you've done? Musical cover? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, <man. laughs> um, or, or maybe the next one that you'll do. Yeah. I've been trying to cover my favorite band is uh, the band Muse. Oh, um, dude. Madness yeah. by Muse is one of my favorite songs. Yeah. It's so good. So good. So good. So I've been trying to, I have a much different voice than his, like he's way, you know, more tenor and I'm yeah. not. Yeah. He's like, he can really get up there. Um, but you know, with like the right tuning on my guitar, I'm able to kind of like do some of, some of that stuff. So mm. I've been like messing around with, yeah, madness. Um, there's a song that they do called mercy, which I really love. And uh, I've been playing that a little bit. So yeah, I don't know if I'm going to put any of those online. Actually there is on my Instagram, I have a highlight reel of, uh, some like some clips of me singing and there was like a little clip of me doing a Muse song on there which I think you can go check out the song is Guiding Light which is one of my favorite Muse songs um, okay I'm curious through all these different experiences that you've had Max what are three takeaways that you've learned that you can share with the audience that might apply, apply to them man three takeaways I would say I think you've got to find, well, one would be you have to find a noble aim. Um, that's the term that Jordan Peterson uh, has used, which I really, I really like and I relate to. You know, once you find an, a, an aim in life, a mission that's bigger than you, then um, I think you become sort of like numb to all of the sort of, uh, you know, ego challenges that inevitably are going to arise um, when pursuing you know, that dream. For example, you know, my noble aim is helping people get healthier and, and, you know, separate from fiction. So because that mission to me is so important and it's such a, it's a mission that's so much larger than, than me that, you know, I've gotten, I, I get plenty of haters on my Instagram and uh, you know, that are like, that come out of the woodwork. Usually they're, um, when I post anything about meat and they tend to be vegans that are not even following me, but I digress. That's surprising. Yeah. <laughs> um, 
Um, but yeah, but those, those challenges to like the ego, you know, they don't, they don't bother me because I'm like, you know, you just don't see, you, you can't envision the world that I envision. And so I just, it keeps me going on my way. It's sort of like a missionary, you know, going to a foreign country on a mission to spread the gospel of whatever religion they, you know, they, they are proselytizing. It's like, they're doing it. They, they go through the hardship of getting to those countries and dealing with the mosquitoes and all the things that come with that. Um, you know, whether or not we, we agree with that mission, uh, because they've got a mission that's higher than themselves. You know, they're, they're working for God, essentially. So I'm not working for God. I'm working to help people like get healthier. And that's sort of my, you know, my higher calling, but I think you got to find that noble aim. Um, and then go after that. The second thing I would say, we kind of touched on this earlier, but you've got to really focus on the one thing. Um, there was a time when I first began where I was looking at guys like Jared Leto and I was like, he's doing all the things. Why can't I do all the things? You know, he's a musician, he's a movie star, but he's a music, he, you know, he didn't start out by trying to do both things. He was already, you know, a successful movie star. And then he's, you know, he put his music out there and he's brilliant at both, you know? Um, but you really have to uh, focus on the one thing and, and, and put all your eggs in that basket for you to have any chance at success in this world, you know? And again, you've got to think of yourself like a brand. Um, you want to be consistent, you want to be persistent. Um, and, uh, and yeah, and just, you know, put out good content and do it f to add value to others. Do it to be in the service of your audience, you know? Yeah. The minute, the minute that switched in my brain for me is when my Instagram account started to take off, actually. I used to post on my Instagram photos of myself and like, you know, I used it the way I think many people use it, but, I realized that that wasn't in line with my mission of being a value add to other humans. And so I then started just posting inst uh, infographics, things that I think that I thought could actually like, you know, be conversation starters and inform people. And the minute I switched over into that like new format, it's when my, my growing, my, uh, my account, you know, my following really started to take off. And then finally, the third thing I would say, um, don't try to be perfect. You know, you always have to be willing to experiment and iterate. Um, I think at the end of the day, success is about, uh, progress, not perfection is a term or like a phrase that I think I, I use a lot because a lot of people, especially in the diet community, you know, they all, everybody wants to be perfect and have like the perfect diet or the perfect workout routine, but that's a perfect, perfection is a myth. Um, it just doesn't exist, you know? I like, I try to keep my diet as dialed in as possible. And, you know, I occasionally will have snack attacks. I call them snacksidents. You know, if I, if I, if I decide to give in and buy the, the bag of paleo puffs that like, I know that I'm addicted to, you know? Yeah. Um, sometimes I go to the gym and I have workouts that are not as great as, you know, maybe the workout that I had just one day prior. And I'm like, Oh, what did I do wrong? You know, but it's the showing up. It's like, it's, you know, it's, it's getting there every day, even when motivation is lacking. Cause you know, we don't always, motivation is like a fair weather friend, you know, it's about making progress and consistency and just, you know, trying yeah. to adopt behaviors that are going to like, just get you there. That's half the battle. Yeah, man. Those are, those are gold, dude. Appreciate you sharing. I don't know if you meant to do this, but I just uh, finished reading the one thing by Gary Keller and up here on this whiteboard behind me, I wrote out the statement uh, that he 
wrote the book around, which is what is the one thing that I can do such that by doing it, everything else becomes easier or unnecessary. And that wow. applies to your branding that applies to, uh, you know, the, the noble aim and getting there. Um, so that's, I think that's powerful advice, but Max really enjoyed today. Appreciate, um, appreciate you taking the time. I really, uh, am impressed by your, humble approach uh even though you're clearly a genius so you're so humble with it um i am impressed by the studiousness of everything that you do and um i also appreciate your balanced perspective that that you present so um anyway thank thank you for the time it's uh it's an honor to to have met you so dude well same <laughs> i uh you might be one of the best interviewers i think i've ever experienced you're very you know if i can just you know throw a compliment back at you you're you know you're very <laughs> pleasant and um you know you ask great questions and you did a you know f ton of research that like no other interviewer has yeah. done you know you brought back like my current tv show and you talked about my music and so i'm very appreciative that you took the time um honestly to to do that research and to show up and yeah, so we connected because my assistant sydney is a huge fan of yours and now i am as well so Thank you for appreciate me. it, man. Let's stay in touch for sure.